I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on Black Athletes, their impact beyond the game, and the legacy of Kobe Bryant. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And you can catch up on all of our episodes on lisaevers.com, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And now you can also catch up on all of our episodes on the new Fox Soul platform. In this show, we're talking about black athletes, their impact beyond the game, as well as the legacy that Kobe Bryant leaves behind, as well as the many, many ways he inspired so many people. For more than a century, African-American athletes have been setting world records and at the same time breaking down racial and gender and social barriers. They become so successful and dominant in American sports and American life that they're part of our daily lives. We feel like we know them sometimes even better than the people that we're really related to or working with every single day. So when one of our shining black superstars is taken from us prematurely, we all feel the loss. In this episode, we're celebrating Kobe Bryant's achievements as well as those of all African-American athletes and talking about their challenges and also their tremendous triumphs. And we've got a great panel to do just that. Let me introduce them to you. Joining me is Smush Parker. He's a former NBA player. He played on the Lakers with Kobe Bryant, and he's currently in training to be an NBA official. Smush, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Prim Saripapat. She's a former ESPN anchor who interviewed Kobe Bryant. She's the host of the next chapter with Prim Saripapat on The Athletic, and she's also a former pro tennis player. Prim, great to have you with us again. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Jay Alford. He's a New York Giants Super Bowl champion from 2008 a former NFL player. He's currently a graphic designer for Tops, and he's from Orange, New Jersey. Jay, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Prim, I want to start with you on this. The, the death of Kobe Bryant came as such a shock to people. It just was one of those moments where you remember where you were or what you were doing when you heard it. Why do you think it impacted everyone so deeply? Yeah, you know, I've thought about that for a really long time, especially for, for many of us. We really didn't have a personal <clears throat> relationship with Kobe, but it was definitely one of those moments where you will always remember for the rest of your life where you were when you heard the news. I think there's a combination of factors. I think for the most part, we really saw him grow up in front of our eyes. We've known him since he was maybe 16, 17 years old. And because he was such a public figure and also he became such a star and an icon, he was one of those sports figures that was bigger than the game of basketball and bigger than sport. He was just kind of ubiquitous, if you will. Um, you didn't have to be a sports fan to know who he was. And I think just he found a way to stay relevant, even at 41 years old. And so I, I just think it affected a lot of people, including myself. Very, very, very deeply. Smosh, you played with him. And, and our condolences, because I know it was a tough, you know, especially tough for you having played with him and, and worked with him and known him so, so well when you were with the Lakers. And what can you tell us about him? Why do you think people felt that didn't know him like you do, you know, felt this so painfully? Well, it was surprising to me uh, how it affected the world the way it did. Um, but we were brothers. And it, uh, it shook me to the core. Um, but people could relate to Kobe because of his, uh, his de desire, his determination to win, um, his focus. His, um, everybody, everybody wants to get whatever level that they're at, you know, work-wise, you know, career-wise, they want to get to a, a level where they can just achieve greatness. And, w and Kobe was able to do that. He channeled his inner and there's something inside of Kobe that just drove him to want to be the best. 
and that's what people related uh, to uh, related with Kobe with. Just that incredible drive. Yes. What was he like as a, you know, as a teammate to you? Because um, you were like the he, like you were like the young new guy. Well, we like I said, we were brothers. You know, we started in the backcourt uh, for two seasons, uh, eighty-two games plus playoffs, and um, for me, um, in my relationship with Kobe, he was more of a doer. You know, he was more of a, a person who led by example. You know, he came in with a a, a, a laser-like focus. Um, he was very professional. He took his, his craft and his work seriously. And for me, being uh, the observer that I was, you know, I just kind of watched him, you know, watch how he, you know, went about, you know, the game of basketball and how he, the work that he put in. And uh, I learned a lot just by watching. Jay, you, you know what it takes to win a championship. Absolutely. He played in the, uh, with, with the New York Giants and some other NFL teams. Right. Had that famous sack in the uh, Super Bowl game right. with, where you sacked Tom Brady there towards the end of the game. Yeah. When, when you saw Kobe and you saw his you know, 18 championships, or not 18, how many, like five, five, five championships. Right. He played for 18 years. Yeah. The, when you see that level of, of accomplishment, what does that tell you about him as a player? Um... Kobe to me was just more he was the epitome of 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 work like what work ethic looks like <clears throat> um so to see you know that level of expertise and and him being able to do that c consistently uh, I mean you can't couldn't ask for anything better than that it's just the drive did, did you relate to the drive like oh yeah absolutely um you know like I I grew up watching Kobe so I mean like she said um 16 years of well no 18 years that he's been playing and uh i grew up watching that so i some of my work ethic that i took uh watched him do i took from it and yeah the drive absolutely and apply it like to you with in your football career absolutely primate you interviewed him within the last year he was already kind of post you know he, he spent 20 seasons 20 seasons 18 seasons with the uh with the lakers mm -hmm. now as a dad now was really involved with his daughter gianna and and may they and everybody on that mm -hmm. helicopter crash rest in peace what did you notice about him because you've interviewed a lot of a lot of athletes yeah i think it's funny that um you know my 17 years in broadcasting and the one time that i finally get to meet kobe and interview him it happened to be once he's done with basketball, which really coincides with what I'm really passionate about. And I think the one thing, like we all know about Kobe, the champion, and what he was like when he was playing, that win-at-all-costs mentality that sometimes, you know, in some ways affected his friendships and relationships. But I think the one thing that really stood out to me was really just how much he softened. And I think a lot of that had to do with age, the fact that he's had some time to separate himself from basketball, the fact that he's become not a father, but also a father of not one, two, but four daughters. And that, you know, becoming a parent changes your life. And But as a man, having four daughters, that is game changing. Um, and that was probably the most beautiful aspect I saw with Kobe is, you know, the, the rage and the, the anger and the dedication that he poured into basketball has now been dispersed to so many different areas, including the stuff that he was doing with his children's book series, his podcast, his movie and storytelling and filmmaking and also his family, too. And, and all those things. Smush, help us understand, but when you're playing, when you're in the middle of an NBA season, that's a lot of games and a lot of physical wear and Definitely. tear, even if you're in top shape. Definitely. It's What's a, it like? It's uh, rigorous. You know, it's an 82-game season. It's seven months straight, no weekends, no holidays. We can have four games a week where we're, we're traveling right after a game. You know, we play Monday, 
uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, let's just say. And right after the game, we're on a, on a plane to the next city. We're flying to Detroit. You get into a city at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to play a back-to-back. And you have four games a week, so you're playing two back-to-backs that week. You know, so it's, And that's seven months, eight months out of the year straight of, of that. And it's a, it, it takes a toll on your body. So you have to be su- you have to be super focused. Super focused. And, and what will you remember about Kobe? <laughs> is, I mean, a lot of things, but the, the, like the most positive thing. The most positive thing is uh, again, um, I'm an athlete and I'm a competitor, and um, there's no bigger uh, competitor, no greater athlete than Kobe Bryant was. Um, you know, you hear stories about Michael Jordan. I never got a chance to uh, play with Michael Jordan, but the next thing to Mike was Kobe. And just that level of uh, work ethic, um, that focus, like I said, um, I, I'll give you a story, a quick story if, you are, if we have time. Um, it's, it's the off season, and I had an injury. I had an ankle injury, and we share a practice facility with the L.A. Sparks, and they had, they had practice at 8 a.m., so I had to get in there before they got there. So I, I showed up at the practice facility at 6.30 a.m. for treatment, and I get to the gym, and guess who's in the gym shooting in the dark by himself? Kobe. Kobe Bryant was in the gym by himself at 6 a.m. before the L.A. Sparks, you know, uh, you know, got there to, to practice. And I was there for treatment, but he was in the gym shooting by himself. That was the level of uh, work ethic and, you know, um, the love and respect that he had for the game. And for the, for the sport and for everything like yes. that. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Sierra. And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, baby. And real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about black athletes, their impact, and their legacy. And joining me for this conversation is Smush Parker. He's a former NBA player. He played on the Lakers with Kobe Bryant, and he's currently in training to be an NBA official. Smush, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Prim Seripapat. She's a former ESPN anchor who interviewed Kobe Bryant. She's the host of the next chapter with Prim Seripapat on The Athletic. She's also a former pro tennis player. Prim, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Jay Alford. He's a New York Giants Super Bowl champion, 2008 former NFL player. He's currently a graphic designer for Tops from Orange, New Jersey. Jay, great to have you with us. Us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Prim, in terms of Kobe's effect on women's sports, because mm-hmm. that, that hashtag started trending, you know, girl dad afterwards, and, and I think also the image of him now, you know, really embracing fatherhood and being so involved in his daughter's, you know, basketball, you know, basketball training and all that. What do you that really hit a nerve for people. Yeah, I think it really did. Actually, my, my friend L. Duncan was the one that started that whole trend of the girl dad. And I had a similar conversation with Kobe when I got a chance to interview him at the U.S. Open. Uh, and he was promoting his new children's book, Legacy of the Queen, which features a, a young tennis player, a girl. And I asked him, you know, would Kobe pre-kid, pre-father have ever done anything like this? He's like, absolutely not, never. Because I had a singular focus on basketball. I thought I was going to play basketball for the rest of my life. But things really changed for him when he had his four daughters. And he said, when I, you know, with some, there's something special about kids that your world really opens up. And so his mission changed from being the best basketball player that he could ever be and being dominant on the court 
to being the best father and also creating all these avenues to have such a strong influence on not just children, but also young girls and females because of his daughters. And because because of, because of the girls. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of the, Jay, your personal story mm-hmm. as a, you know, becoming a professional football player. Give us an idea because we did a story, you know, for Fox 5 News at 10 after you had that famous sack of uh, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Yeah. But what, what was it like for you? And then, you know, that transition going into professional sports. Um, it was, uh, I think it was, it was tough for, in, in some spaces, um, you know, leaving Orange, you know, which is a small town in New Jersey, uh, 2.2 square miles, um, uh, leaving there, you know, as Jason Alford, the, you know, just the kid that played football coming back, you know, as Jay Alford, the New York giant, <clears throat> I think that transition was, uh, a bit tough because, you know, it took a lot of things to start to get used to. Uh, as far as like, you know, people uh, put me on this plateau that, you know, I wasn't used to at first, you know, because these are the same people that I grew up with. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, you're the giant now. So it was that part was tough for me. And then it, it, did you have people you looked up, looked up to some of these some of the athletes, athletes before you who came before you? Um, yeah, like I said, Kobe was one of them. Uh, Jordan, um, Warren Sapp was one of them. Michael Strahan. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, guys like that, yeah. And then in terms of their play and in terms of how they handle things? Sorry again? In terms of their style of play and their, their oh, success yeah, yeah, level? Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, so Kobe, his work ethic, um, uh, Warren Sapp, I took more of his style of play. Uh, Strahan, just, you know, the, the again, the work ethic that he put into. Tremendous. The, right, the, the stuff that he uh, did for the Giants. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, the way he thought about the game it was it was just different so I kind of took bits and pieces from everybody and tried to you know and to incorporate it yeah. in, incorporate it into your own absolutely and then um Smush in terms of in terms of your career you're from Brooklyn Brooklyn and then in becoming a professional player were there were there people that you looked up to as a kid oh definitely uh, tell, tell us about some of them some of the professional basketball players that I looked up to of course was Mike you know I grew up in the 80s and 90s where you know everybody wanted to be like Mike mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up one of those kids. I wanted to be like Mike growing up. Um, but when, as I got older, when I got to high school, I started looking, I started to uh, appreciate Kevin Garnett for all that he brought to the game. You know, he brought offense and defense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, his work ethic on the court, he made everybody better. You know, uh, pass and rebound. He kind of did everything. Um, so I kind of, uh, like, I was a point guard and he was a forward, but I kind of molded my game after Kevin Garnett. Um, so he had a big influence. Those two players, you know, uh, Kevin Garnett and Michael Jordan, had a big influence on my mentality and how I approached the game. And then in terms of how you were treated as a, as a professional athlete, as an African-American, being African-American, okay. did you ever feel like you were being treated differently or did you ever feel any anything like that? No, I never felt like I was being treated differently. Um, I know I know firsthand that basketball in, a, in America is dominated is, is, right, is, by yeah, African-American. Yeah. Right as uh, dominated by African-Americans, and it's the number one sport here in the United States. Um, you know, every, all kids, you know, all, uh, you know, there are adults who don't even play basketball that get up every Saturday morning and go to the gym and, and shoot some hoops. Right. You know, so um, basketball is, uh, is, is trendy, and I enjoyed it, and I loved playing the game, and I, I don't think I've ever been treated any differently because I was African-American. 
Prim, when you look at when you look at the where, where we're at now in, mm. in, in terms of sports, do you see do you see the athlete do you see the playing field leveling in terms of race relations in terms of dominant like like Smush said, it's like the African Americans dominate basketball, but in other sports, as you look around, yeah, I mean, I think it's twofold. I think it's on one hand we've come a long way, and there's been a lot of progress that's been made, but on the other hand, there's still much work to be done in terms of equaling the playing field and making sure we have an inclusive and diverse environment. You know, I was just kind of looking up some stats and on the NBA side, the NBA, I would say, is probably the most progressive in terms of creating an inclusive environment. I think 80% of the players are of people of color. And then the head coaches, 33% are people of color. Whereas you compare that to the NFL, which, in my opinion, is probably the area that needs the most work and is dealing with, you know, some of, some of their own battles. But uh, I, I would say 70% of the players were people of color, but then the head coaches, it was only 9% representing minorities. And that's a huge issue right there. Is the, is the coaching and the... Uh... Yeah, because I think from a participation level, I think now we're starting to see a lot of diversity. So we've kind of helped fix that. But I think the next step is going to be fixing the, the areas where the people are the decision makers. So the front office, C-suite guys, executives, and also head coaches. We, we definitely have a lot of work to do there in terms of incorporating more diversity. Jay, what about that in, ter in, terms, of, in terms of the NFL? Does it really matter in the d diversity in terms of the front office? office and these these coaches uh, it, at it, the end of the day uh, I think it I think it does because uh, if you look at it I mean um, I don't know what the percentage is but I mean it, it has to be predominantly you know African Americans that play you know football so right. having you know somebody that they can kind of relate to uh, of course that helps the team so you know why not you know why not have it so yeah Right, having somebody that's that's been through that can re that can relate. Right, absolutely. In so, in so many different ways. In terms of team ownership, also, is that is that a, is there are there ways like like you're you're now a graphic designer, mm -hmm. following your NFL career. Are there things in the NFL that they do for because the the career is very short. I think one of the very. shortest professional careers of any professional sports 100%. do they have are there programs or are there is there guidance available um, for players like yourself I mean you you go from winning the Super Bowl and then it's like yeah, a couple years right. later like wait a minute I got to get a job right right uh, I mean that's yeah, got to be like a kind of a thing the thing is like uh, my, my transition was uh, I mean it was tough in the beginning you know just because of those spaces you know you going from you know winning the Super Bowl to going to you know regular nine to five but in in the in the middle of that it was it was more so of, you know, me losing my identity, uh, trying to figure out, like, okay, well, what's next, you know? So uh, the, the, the NFLPA, not much the NFL, the NFLPA, they're good with uh, actually putting in spaces where you can, you know, seek, like, if you wanted to do something else, like, if I wanted to do graphic design, they would have somebody that can help you do it. But the thing is, is that... Uh, like when you get to these spaces of leaving the game, you're you're semi jaded. You don't want to be around it. You're angry with the game. You know, I didn't leave on my own terms. I got hurt. You know, so in that space, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to. Um, what was I gonna say? Admit that you were like right. it, that was over or right. that it was exactly. done. So and yeah, so in that space of you know even trying to come back and no one wanted me to come back on the team just because of the politics of the game, uh, I was jaded. But. So you get into those spaces, and then you have uh, – so you don't want to reach out to the NFL. You don't right. want to talk to these people that's in that space. 
until, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I was just like, you know, why not? You know, this is this is the game that actually, you know, gave me this, you know, space. They gave me this opportunity. So why not reach out? And once I did, like, yeah, it was tons of opportunities. And then so so th there was that help there that was available. But it is, it's it's got to be an adjustment, too. Yeah. Playing before state in stadiums, playing in arenas mm -hmm. with packed people. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I got to really start worrying about the rent and all right. that. Right. You know, like really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. People aren't like Stuff throwing, the making tax offers. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> all the taxes and all that stuff. Right. Well, uh, this is Street Soldiers. Coming up, we're going to find out what our panel has to say about athletes as role models and their impact on society. That's coming up next. New York City, it's Miguel, and you're tuning to the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real people, real issues, and real politics. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about black athletes, their impact beyond the game, as well as the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Joining me for this episode is Smush Parker. He's a former NBA player. He played on the Lakers with Kobe Bryant. He's currently in training to be an NBA official and also has his own charitable foundation. Smush, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Prim Saripapat. She's a former ESPN anchor. She interviewed Kobe Bryant many, many other athletes. She's the host of The Next Chapter with Prim Saripapat on The Athletic, and she's also a former pro tennis player. Prim, great to have you with us. Hi, Lisa. Hi, <laughs> thank you so much. Also joining us is Jay Alford. He's a New York Giants Super Bowl champion, 2008, and former NFL player. Yes, he is the one that sacked Tom Brady. That's how the guys know you. That's true. He's the guy that sacked Tom Brady um, in that Super Bowl game. He's currently a graphic designer for Tops, and he's from Orange, New Jersey. Uh, Jay, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Smush, when we look through history, there have been players that stand out like number 42, Jackie Robinson, becoming the first African-American player in professional major league baseball, breaking barriers like that. Muhammad Ali, the height of his career, throwing it, some people would say throwing it away, but, you know, uh, protesting the Vietnam War, refusing to be drafted, losing the champion, you know, losing the title, having to get back in the game after that. They have taken very, very strong stands, not to mention the, you know, the Olympics in the 1960s with the players with the black fist pro yes. protesting, uh, black power fist protesting segregation and stuff. When you look around what's happening today, so many players like yourself, former players as well, have their own charitable foundations. Mm -hmm. We see Derek Jeter with the Turn 2 Foundation doing so much programs, tremendous programs around the country yes. and t you're involved with one too tell us about that um well a little bit about mine um it's called my nonprofit is called smush inspires and um it's geared towards the uh, inner city kids who are overlooked who might not have the resources to make it to an nba professional game or to pay for a, a high profile athletes basketball camp so i go into these inner cities and i host free camps free clinics and um more importantly, when I go back into these communities, it's not about the basketball. It's not about the skills training that I teach. It's more about inspiring and um, having these kids believe in themselves, believing in, in dreams that they, they honestly don't see every day on a daily basis you right. know, because of their present <clears throat> circumstances. And, um, and it's triple-fold. Um, a lot of the kids that I, I, I mentor and inspire, they grow up without fathers in the home. Um, or you know, positive male role mo role models. So I want to be that light. I want to be that person that comes back and you know, 
be a positive role model and let them know that if you believe in, believe in yourself that you can make it out just like I did. That's, that's really powerful, and that's great that you're doing that. It's really yeah. awesome. Jay, in terms, of you, in terms of yourself, you said you came back from the Giants, or you know, as soon as you were on the Giants, now in, in your hometown in Orange, New Jersey, you're looked mm -hmm. at a totally different way. Were you ready to be looked at as a role model? Uh, no, not at first, but uh, I mean, I kind of just got thrown into the fire. Um, I mean, it, uh, you know, me coming from Orange uh, and seeing the kids that grew up around me, you know, they didn't have fathers. I was just one of the lucky ones to get out. So to come back, I know what's in that neighborhood and I know what they need, you know, as, you know, young males growing up, you know. So if I could, you know, come back and help in that, in that, you know, that space of being that positive role model, then so be it. And then have you, because the Giants, well, Mike, Michael Strahan was very active with a lot of charities throughout his entire uh, football career. Mm -hmm. Were there, and I know the Giants do a lot of programs in the community. Did you ever participate in any of those? Uh, yeah, um, most of them that um, that the Giants are, uh, it's not ringing off the top of my head, but most of the ones that they, you know, worked with, I was right there with them. Uh, the J Fund with um, uh, Tom Coughlin, that's his big one. Uh, always helping kids with cancer and stuff like that. So, yeah, always, yeah, absolutely. And did you reconcile to being a role model like that, especially especially after that? Because wasn't that your – that was your rookie year, yeah, right, rookie, the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yep. So it's like that's a lot of attention. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you were thrown into the, to the fire. Mm -hmm. Do people – look like just really look at you as this role model after that and, and at a whole nother level um yeah 100 percent uh, uh but again it just comes with the territory uh you know you get to the nfl and you're already you know seen as a star by the younger kids like they're already saying okay well look this guy's on he's an he's an nfl player so he's huge you know so me coming back to my hometown is just like oh yeah absolutely yeah Prim, in, ter in terms of the, the, the pressure from the, because you've it, been involved in the sports media mm. your whole career, the, in terms of the pressure on these professional athletes now as, as, to be role models, mm -hmm. tell us about that. How do you see that? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on athletes to be role models, but I think we often forget that sports doesn't necessarily make you a role model. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have character. You have to use sports as a vehicle to become a role model. And the, I think the one time that I really learned that not everybody is up to the challenge is hearing Venus Williams alongside Billie Jean King when they were trying to fight for equal pay at the time at Wimbledon. And Venus and also Billie Jean King just kind of said, like, listen, not everybody can handle this type of thing. And not every, this may not be necessarily your life purpose. And, and she's, she's really right because it is a huge responsibility whether you want to speak up about, you know, be a social activism or talk about racial issues or social issues or politics. Um, I, I think that athletes have the opportunity, but if they want to take that opportunity, I think it's important that they become really educated about whatever they want to be passionate about, and then they can assume the role as the role model. Because we've also seen some players where, you know, people come in and like, oh, I'm going to start your, start up your foundation, and then nothing really happens, and then a lot of money, because you, come, you can come into a lot of money really, really fast. What about that, Smush? Um, well, yeah, as, as an well, athlete. Well, you're a Brooklyn guy, so you, no, no one's going to step to you like that. They're going to be like, nah, 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 man. You, no, yeah, I've, I haven't had anybody step to me in that way. But to touch on uh, what Prim was talking about, how um, there are certain people, certain athletes who uh, choose not to use their platform to be a role model, and then there are certain athletes, such as myself, who use their, the platform that they've been given through sports to reach back out into the, uh, the communities or to reach back out to a, you know, people in need.
and uh, it's very important um, for for those voices, um, for those special people to you know to to to, to do it, because there's a, there's millions of people out there who need you know some inspiration, who need hope, who need help, and uh, we are, we have been given, we have been blessed with the opportunity to um, to do something. Yeah. To, to, to make changes in people's lives. And then to, and to really really have that kind of impact. Yes. Uh, Prim, in, ter in terms of the, the role model effect, too, with the, with, in the sport of tennis, mm -hmm. Ser Serena Williams, like an unbelievable, like a once-in-a-lifetime type of player. Yeah. Do you feel tremendous achievements as, an African, as a woman of color and also as a tennis player, period. Do you feel that she's been treated fairly in the media? Hmm, that's a heavy question. I mean, just in general. Like um, in general, do you feel, because the way the stories get portrayed, yeah. anything, any, she's so huge that anything that happens with her when she's playing the Open or one of the big the big tournaments is like instant, it's regular news. It even goes beyond yeah. the sports news. I mean, I think, I think it's both. I think she's, because if, if I were to say that she has not been treated fairly, then I would be accusing a lot of journalists out there that do try to treat her fairly, fairly you know what I mean? But I think over the course of her career, we've seen her since she was 13, 14 year, years old. Um, I think in the initial phases when her and Venus were both coming through the game of tennis, they faced a lot of criticism. Criticism. They faced a lot of racism, racism um, and a lot of those different barriers. But over time, because of them, because of their trailblazing ways, they have um, created opportunities for other people to get involved in the game of tennis. And you see that now between Naomi Osaka and Sloane Stevens and Madison Keys and, you know, Coco Goff. You're seeing all colors of the rainbow involved in women's tennis because of them. Um, so I would say initially in the beginning, they faced a lot of battles. But over time, uh, you know, they've, they've really become uh, legends. And, and also all the championships. That yeah. They, yeah, I mean, between uh, that certainly helped, too. I mean, I think that helped their cause of that mm -hmm. winning will silence critics. And when you win and you become a champion, anybody will essentially listen to you. You know, and the fact that Venus won seven Grand Slam singles titles and we know Serena with her 23 Grand Slam singles titles and hopefully <laughs> counting, wow. as, as, like, you know, as she continues to, you know, try to go for 24. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think what's more fun about seeing them and they, they actually they're trajectory reminds me so much of Kobe in that when they were playing, they they had this anger and this edge about them, but as they've gotten older, as they've gotten married and become parents, their legacy becomes about making an impact on other people. And you can see Serena and Venus just kind of soften, and they're worried about pay, paying it forward and helping future generations rather than just focusing on their success. So you're saying that if they want, if you want to win championships, just postpone being a parent until, until after you get the twenty, until until after you get the the twenty uh, the twenty championships. Not an easy task. But that's but honest. that's a positive story because I I looked up about in ter in terms of tennis because uh, it's, it's one of my favorite sports and I, and I knew you were going to be here with us. <sighs> Althea Gibson first, she was the first African American athlete to compete in international tennis. Male or female in 1958, and she also played on the LGPA tour. She was a golfer as well. Oh, really? Yeah, 
And then you also have Arthur Ashe as well. Right. The only, the only black man who's win, uh, who's won multiple Grand Slam right. titles. Um, and he was also the first athlete to come out and admit that he was battling AIDS. I mean, tennis, tennis. We, I, I am lucky in the sense that we've had so many revolutionary people come through the game. And wh what about in, in terms of the um, some of the some of the social activism now too? Because we've seen, you know, the way we just came through the Super Bowl. There was the the controversy. With Colin Kaepernick, with the take a knee, the NFL, and then Jay Z, you know, it's just all of these types of things, these cultural things. Do you feel that that's been covered covered adequately and fairly? Yeah, yeah. I think when you know, if we're talking specifically about the Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem, I think for media, a lot of people weren't necessarily prepared for that because. Up until that point, we had not really seen a lot of intersection between sports, athletes, and politics. But I think with social media, and now that athletes can control their own narrative and they have their own voice, now we're starting to see a lot of athletes become really involved in those types of things. Um, you know, as time has gone on, I think the media and journalists have been able to adapt to that. And however they want to tell their story, they can. There's a fair side to it. There are unfair sides to it. But anytime you involve politics, there's going to be multiple sides. And that's to a it. whole new thing because there's a lot of people too that yeah. like sports because they don't have to deal with any type of. It's an escape, and they're mm -hmm. not dealing with any type of political issues. But and and, and Colin, <coughs> excuse me, and you know Colin did continue with his Know Your Rights camps. He's been doing a tremendous amount of work with his foundation to uh, to educate teens and children around the country in ter terms of their rights when they encounter uh, police officers. But a lot of people do turn to sports, and they turn to it. I mean, at the end of the day, Smush, it's entertainment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but you still got to play. Well, I don't know. You got to play according <laughs> to. Well, now that you're going to be a referee, yeah, I mean, right. you got to, you know. Do you, no. do, you do you feel that the rules throughout your, throughout your NBA playing career, do you feel that they were as strict, or do you think, like, you know, Prim brought up the issue of social media, which really has changed a lot, too, because mm -hmm. now people are commenting on players, little things that didn't get noticed, somebody with a big following can take a picture or zoom in and, and put that out. Do you feel that the, the, the rules stayed, have, have in basketball pretty much stayed the same? Well, um, no, they definitely changed in regards to uh, the social media age. When I was playing, I, I was right before social media, you know, <laughs> really hit. Uh, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's pros and cons to, yeah. you know, to, to, to that. I wish you know social media was uh, big when I was playing. Then a lot of things that I you know I did my my accomplishments would would have been highlighted more. But right. also, uh, you know, the negative part of social media is that you know the negative things that you might get caught up in. You know, you know, the, everything you know, gets out. Captions can be taken out out of context. Pictures. Know, pictures. Yeah. You know, so um, with the social media ages, everything, and, and unfortunately, we've, we're growing up in, a, in an age where every, everybody's sensitive to, you know, you have to watch the words that you say now and how you phrase certain things. So um, it's, it's, it's death to the rules and, and just life in general has changed all Definitely. across the board. Definitely. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how African-American athletes have changed the games, changed the way we look at sports in terms of the achievements and what's ahead in the future. That's coming up next. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Rotimi. You're listening to Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about black athletes, their impact beyond the game, as well as the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Joining me for this episode is Smush Parker. He's a former NBA player. He played on the Lakers with Kobe Bryant, and he's currently in training to be an NBA official while he runs his own charitable 
Foundation. Smush, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Prim Saripapat. She's a former ESPN anchor. She interviewed Kobe Bryant last year and many other uh, top players in a lot of different sports. She's also the host of The Next Chapter with Prim Saripapat on The Athletic, and she's also a former pro tennis player. Prim, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Jay Alford. He's a New York Giants Super Bowl champion from 2008, former NFL player, and currently a graphic designer for Tops. He's from Orange, New Jersey. Jay, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Prim, I want to share something with our audience that, that you told us off camera, and that is you said when you interviewed Kobe last year, you really felt like he'd changed. What makes you say that? Yeah, there was, uh, listen, I, I, I won't pretend to act as though I had a personal relationship with him before, but just from afar, he seemed as though he had just softened a little bit. Um, becoming a parent, having a little separation from the game of basketball, losing that competitive edge. And it's almost as if, you know, as I said before, it's almost as if the energy and obsession that he poured into basketball really just got dispersed into all these creative outlets. And, and much of it was creating content for young children. And that was inspired through his four daughters. Was it with all the girls? Yeah. Um, Smush, he was on the day that the, the day that the helicopter crashed. He was on his way with his daughter and her friend and some others to the Mamba Academy for yes. a tournament that yeah. he started. Knowing him the way that you know him, what do you what do you make of his his commitment was a real commitment real to these commitment. kids real commitment uh i know him as a fierce uh never back down never uh take a l uh kind of guy um so i know that that kind of um mentality and work ethic was being poured into the kids at the mamba um facility um and I know the people that, that know. The, I just know the guys who play in the NBA now, who would go there in the summertime just to work out with Kobe. Was you know they they were being fueled with that same kind of energy and mindset. And uh, you know it's just unfortunate that um, you know something as tragic as this you know occurred the way it did. So he was really committed. This wasn't just a question of like, oh, let me write, not that there's anything wrong with people writing checks, but like, let me write a check. It's like he was really committed to everything that he learned and everything that made him such a great champion, passing that on to others. No, he was definitely committed. You got to see, see that in uh, how he was, uh, he was with his daughter. Um, um, I, I unfortunately didn't know Kobe in this stage. Um, I you know, just had a relationship from afar, and I, but I could see know the, the the passion and the, uh, effort that he was putting forth with his daughter Gigi, and then all the, uh, the like I said, all the other athletes in the NBA who traveled to the Mamba facility in the summer times in the off season to work out with Kobe. I could just see the um, the the work and the dedication and the focus that he he had as a player. He was putting forth in the in in training. Plus, a lot of the players now, you know, a lot, a lot of the new players. Now they're they're like I grew up with him. He was just he's the one I wanted to to be yeah, like him yeah. and be able to beat someday. Yes, yeah. Like like I said earlier in the, in the uh, interview, I grew up on Mike, but a lot of the players now currently grew up on Kobe, mm -hmm. and um, this has played a major uh, it not played it took a major effect on them, um, you know personally because they they lost a hero. Right. And um, a lot of people feel that way that they they grew even people who don't play basketball grew up who grew up watching uh, the NBA grew up on Kobe. Right. Like my pastor is a, a huge uh, 
Kobe fan, and this affected him and his entire family because he felt like he had a connection and a love and a, and a um, just a, a um, I, I can't I don't I I can't put it into words, but there was a, a connect that they shared because Kobe was a part of his growing up because uh, he played for the L.A. Lakers, the right. number one franchise in NBA history, right? Many championships, you know, the legacy, Magic Johnson. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, like the premier you know, team. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it just carried over. Kobe was was that guy, and it affected the world. It did. It, to- it totally affected the world. Jay, in ter- in terms of the the impact on kids, there's people who say that for because of the lack of black male superheroes early on. Now that's changed, thank God. But that the athletes have become those superheroes to kids. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, like I was saying, like you know, we turn in to watch football and basketball every day. Well, not every day, but every Sunday, uh, basketball every other day. So these are things that they're seeing, you know, pretty much throughout their lives. So these are are people that they can kind of you know emulate themselves after. So of course they're superheroes because you go to you know you go to these Marvel movies, they're big on camera. And uh, it's everything that you want to do. So now you see these these athletes. It's like, oh, this is something that I think I can do. So now, yeah, they absolutely look like superheroes. And then in terms of, were there people that came up to you after that Super Bowl that were like, you were surprised that they watched football, or they were you were you were just surprised by how much adulation you got for that? Um, I mean, Super Bowl winning the Super Bowl is a pretty big deal. Everyone right. knows that. But I, I mean, mean I, were there just things that you were kind of like? You know, what did that feel like is what I'm asking you. Um, I, it was an unbelievable feeling. Uh, I mean, like, again, like it, it's, you can't really put something like that into words. It, only because I was so young at the time and uh, I didn't really grasp, like, how big th- the moment was. <laughs> um, you know, I talked to Strahan after the game and he was like, you know, Jay, don't take this for granted, you know, because, you know, it might not happen again. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been here for 15 years and, you know, this is my first one. And, you know, me just being young Jay is just like, oh, no, I'll be here over and over again, you know, five years, whatever, you know. And um, so so winning that in that moment, I didn't realize how big it was. Uh, you know, now that I look back at it, it's just like, oh, wow, that was a huge moment, you know. And now it's like ingrained in Giants history. So things like that is just like, wow, you can't really put that into Because you're just, you're just trying to do your best and right. stay focused on the game. Right. I heard I heard at halftime he said when things weren't looking so good, he was like, hey, guys, just understand, either we're going to go home champions or they're going to go home champions, right. and I want to go home champions. <laughs> right. That's what, that's, that's, I mean, basically that's what it comes down to. But, I, mean, <laughs> I know, but in the middle of the game, you're like exhausted. You're, you know, you're, you're like whatever, uh, you know? I mean, like, the, like, like I said, like Stray, you know, he you – know, put everything into layman's terms just so you know <laughs> we could go out there and play well but uh i mean like he was a great leader and to have that moment at that time was it was unbelievable T- no yeah. totally yeah. prim in terms of the, the the other thing too that was kind of the irony of the kobe bryant story that people saw was he didn't have a son a lot of times yeah. it's like the father mm-hmm. passes the sport on to the son yeah. but he was so proud and had that special relationship with jana well, that's actually one thing mm-hmm. that i asked him uh on the Did set you, I, yeah because i was like i mean you got four you guys gonna go for a fifth one and he's like, you know what? He's like, I'd be happy to have another one. I'd be happy to have another girl. That's up to Vanessa because it's her body. Whatever she, she's been looking. She's the one that had been wanting a boy. But, you know, for whatever reason, Kobe just really took a, a liking and also a loving and just 
he just really, really loved his daughters. And it came out, I love the book series that he was promoting because he said the whole reason why I wanted to write these stories for children is because I wanted my girls to be able to read these stories and see people like them and, and find inspiration from it because, you know, for, for people that, for tennis players, for example, that didn't have Serena Williams, they couldn't look up on the TV screens and see uh, an African-American female playing tennis. They had to come up with their dream, their own dream. Right, you know? right. And so that's what Kobe was trying to do through that. He said, I'm tired of telling the story of the princess being saved by the handsome prince. It's not just about that. My girls, they want to hear about soccer. They want to hear about basketball because they were jocks. They all played sports. And that was just the coolest thing that I talk took away from him in my conversation with and, him. And I read that he had, you know, they would joke about him as being the, the future WNBA commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> and But but it's, but it also, too, in turn, I mean, it's a, a really serious issue in terms of women's sports. We saw with the soccer team, we see with the WNBA players. It's like the, you know, the, the pay the pay is just not there. I mean, the, they're yeah. still building that fan base and still building, you know, building up the sport overall. But do you think that his that had he lived, that, that he would have made a major impact in terms of equalizing that playing field for the women? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anything Kobe touches is would have been absolutely changed. And I think the most important thing to take away from Kobe's legacy is that, you know, I, I think a lot of people looked at him as the greatest of all time, the GOAT, and this hero. But he also worked really hard for everything that he did. And so much you talk about his obsession. But, I mean, he, he talks about when he first came over to the U.S. because he grew up in Italy. He came over to the U.S. at 13 years old. He was scrawny. He was unathletic. He had knee issues. And he was like, I was that dorky little kid coming in who was wow, skinny and wearing hi these high socks and knee pads. And he's like, I was competing against guys that had beards. But he had, yeah, he was like, what am I supposed to do with that? But what he did was he had such a great way of critically thinking about the long term and developed his game in a way that he just had to be patient and he had to work at it. Um, and you know, you share stories of, of him, like you hear stories of him, like carrying a VHS tape after every single regular season. Looking game. at tape after every yeah. game. Yeah, like that's wow. just that. That was the Mamba mentality, and I think that's just the biggest lesson for all of us is that he wasn't a hero. He was just a normal human being, like the rest of us. He just has a work ethic that nobody can replicate. Right. Wow. So what about that? I mean, you've spoken on that, but it just, yeah. it just had, did you, do you see anybody else during your, your, your time as a player in the NBA that had that same kind of? Um, I've, I've been around the game a long time, played in the uh, NBA six years, played on a, a, a number of franchises. Um, but I don't think I've ever come across an athlete who put in that much work the way he did with that, that, that that fire and desire to be the best, you know. We as I'm, we as athletes, you know, I my my goal was to make it to the NBA. That was my dream to make it to the NBA. His goal was to be the best player in the world. Mm -hmm. Like our mindsets, like were different. Yeah. You know, other people's mindsets in the NBA were like mine. You know, they wanted to make it to the NBA. Someone wanted to be all stars. Someone wanted to be superstars. He wanted to be the best in the world. Player. He wanted. To, he wanted to go down as the best ever to ever uh, touch this earth, and that's a special kind of mindset that not that very few have. Right. I, I wouldn't even say. None. I don't, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. In any I mean, field, as an athlete, I, I yeah. Think, like I think uh, just watch. I know Mike had it. Right. You, know, you could tell Mike had it. Right. But yeah. I've never practiced with Mike. I never played with Mike, so I don't know what his 
practice habits were. Right. Mm -hmm. But you could see just by you know watching the game that he wanted to be the right. best in the world. Yep. I played with Kobe, and I knew what his mindset was because I, me, me and him shared a, a locker, you know, a seat side by side like this for two two straight seasons. I knew what he was thinking, and he wanted to be the best to ever touch the uh, the uh, to ever touch a, a basketball court. Period. Wow. And that changed your life forever, right? Just seeing that, it, it opened my eyes. It, I was like, wow, I'm thinking too small. Mm. And and me going forward with the rest of my life, whatever I want to do, I'm thinking, okay, if I want to do this, no, I need to, I need to go think to the bigger next than that. Let me think this than and then let me think bigger than that. That's a great way to yeah. remember him and a great note to end the show. But mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for being with us, Smush Parker. Thank you so much. Thanks for having we me. We appreciate it. I had fun. It was great. Primster Papat, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having we me. We appreciate it. Jay Alfred, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And thank mm -hmm. you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace.